When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Just before we begin this episode, I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for the podcast, which is Steroplast Healthcare Limited. Steroplast Healthcare Limited, setting the standards across the seven sectors. If you don't already know of them, get onto their website, www.steroplast.co.uk, to look at some of the great products that they do. We've got the boxing wraps, the Sterotape Zinc Oxide Tape. We've also got the Sterotape Premium and the Sterotape K. Now, we've got World Fight using this tape. We've got local fighters, including Charlie Schofield, Ben Sheedy, Jimmy Kelly, Callum Cook. They're all using this tape at the moment, and Steroplast are getting around to all the boxing gyms. You will be able to purchase these items from steroplast.co.uk. Get over to that website, have a look, because the Sterotape and the Stink Oxide Tape aren't the only things that they actually do. They do provide equipment for emergency rooms, for hospitals, other sports. They produce items for vets, medical surgeries, GPs, first aid, defibrillators, things of that nature. So they're not just all about the Steroplast and the boxing wraps. Get yourself over there and have a look www.steroplast.co.uk Welcome to Beyond the Ropes a boxing podcast brought to you by Easley Boxing Repeat the place for the Northwest and boxing news news, reviews and interviews here's your host Sean Basso Welcome to episode 34 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Sean Basto, your host, as always. And again, it's just me this week, unfortunately, guys. Carl Jennings couldn't make it. He's still slightly under the weather due to his infectious insect bite from when he was away in the USA. Simon Mann couldn't make it, as he's a busy boy himself, as you know. Uh, and we couldn't get anybody else on, so I'm afraid it is just myself this week. But as always, I'm trying to deliver the best I can possibly do. And in the words of Freddie Mercury... Show must go on. Show must go on. 
The show must go on. So, we've got lots to talk about on today's episode, but let's give you a quick overview of what's coming up on the show today. So, of course, there's nowhere else that we're going to be able to start, but Bellew Hay 2 over the weekend, plus the surprises that was on the undercard. We was supposed to get Luke the Duke Watkins on today, but unfortunately, he never come back to me. So, sorry guys, we'll get Luke on maybe next week's show to talk about his fight with Akolai coming up in a few weeks' time. We also have the fights that happened over in America. There wasn't very much of them, as you know, it was just Triple G and Cecilia Brackhouse. We've also got the local wins over in the VIP Boxing Promotion Show in the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester to quickly to discuss. And then we've got the Boxing History and This Week in Boxing coming up. And then, of course, we've got This Weekend's Action coming up featuring Jorge Linares and Vasil Lomachenko, Saddam Ali, Huey Fury and Sam Sexton. And then the final section of today's show is News and Gossip and some good stuff to go through on this week's news and gossip section. Really excited to be talking about the developments that have been coming out in the past 24 hours. So, let's get on with this show. Let's go to last weekend, last Saturday at the O2 Arena. It was Bellew versus Hay. Repeat or revenge? Well, it was repeat. And I said to a lot of people on social media, Bellew would take this and it would be another victory for Tony Bellew. And it was. Now, I initially predicted it'll go 12 rounds. It'll go to points. I don't know why I thought that, but I did I did feel Tony Bellew was going to win this one. And I think straight from the off, as soon as round one went and the bell went for round one, that was it. I knew straight away Hay wasn't himself. He, he, he wasn't in the correct stance as what he normally is. He started to wave his hands around, you know, distraction technique, so to speak. But Bellew wasn't going to be phased by that. And it was quite obvious from round one that I, that wasn't going to do anything. But it, it made Hay look a little bit silly in there. And over the period of the five rounds of the fight, it kind of, kind of seemed desperate, desperate attempt to try and get Bellew to, to get, come away from his game plan to give Hay that opening to try and land that big haymaker. And he, I think he did land one or two big shots on Bellew, from what I recall. And again, Bellew took it, like I said in the first fight, I knew Bellew could take the punches. It was obvious from the first fight he could take it, and it was obvious he was going to be able to take it again. Now, one of the things I noticed in this fight with David Hay is that his stance was all wrong. It, it seemed to be like, because of the injury he suffered with the Achilles in the last fight, that's never fully recovered. And as a result, the way he's trained, he's trained sort of leaning on his front foot rather than going off his back foot where your power comes from. And that's what surprised me straight away. I thought, why why is you know, why is he on the why is he trying to fight on the front foot essentially? Why why is he leaning on that front foot? He isn't gonna get any power into the shots. He isn't gonna be able to he's, he's gonna fall in, essentially, into Bellew's hands and, and that's exactly what he did. Tony Bellew, that was probably one of the career best performances for him. I mean, people will say the finish of the Maccabu fight, you know, he personally will say that was his best fight and, you know, the best night for him. He said it in interviews countlessly. But for me, that was one of the best performances for him because he was so controlled and composed uh, and he picked David Hay apart. He waited for his opportunities. He took the opportunities when they came and you could see as soon as he landed the big punches... He hurt David Hay. Now, David Hay, he's not one, you know, we expected to to kind of go out in this sort of fashion. But when you think about it, you think about David Hay. If you take his name away and you look on the record of, in terms of what he's done over the past couple of years. So, he's not had a fight, competitive fight for six years. He's injured his left bicep. He's had shoulder surgery. He's had an Achilles rupture. Any other fighter, you probably would have turned around and said, I think it's time for him to retire. But because... Of what David Hay has achieved in boxing, 
up to this point, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think a lot of people got sucked in by the fact that they felt David Hay was going to be in the best shape of his life. Now, I'm not being funny, but all you fighters who listen to the podcast and all you guys out there, you know for a fact every fighter says that's the best camp they've ever had. Of course, they're never going to turn around and say it's the worst camp they've ever had. They're never going to give any inclination that they've had a crap camp and that they've not been firing in all cylinders. Obviously, that will tell in the fight if that's the case, but you're never going to say that to the public you're never going to say that to the media you're going to tell them it's your your, you know your best camp ever it's going to sell the fight essentially because i mean who wants to go and see a fight or watch a fight where both fighters are turning around and saying well it's not been my best camp but i'm going to give it my best shot i mean you're going to think to yourself well hang on a minute do i really want to watch this and that's the that's the thing with it all obviously i mean bellew to be fair to him he did mention it wasn't his best camp he said this is by far the best camp he's ever had because of the personal issues outside of the ring but most fighters say this and i think bellew's at the point where he just doesn't really care anymore he just says what he thinks he's not going to lie about it and i don't know why people hate him for that yeah he says some of the things time and time and time again repeatedly but he is right in what he's saying he's not incorrect and when he says he's not the best camper ever had or i want to get home to my wife and kids you know people joke about that it is funny that he says it a lot but at the end of the day that's obviously what's on his mind when he's going through all the rigorous training that you have to go through as a fighter to make the weight to get in camp to get firing in all cylinders so it's for me the fight itself i think i wouldn't say it was a letdown but I was expecting that Bellew was going to walk away the victor. I didn't think he'd, he'd, he'd destroy Hay in the fashion that he did. And whether you agree with me on that comment or not, he did destroy him. He dismantled him. Now, a fully fit Hay, a younger Hay, the one that had the reactions, the timing, the speed, everything that made him the fighter he was, Bellew said himself, he wouldn't have got, he, he wouldn't have beat him. He wouldn't have beat that version of Hay. And he was quite open and honest about that as well. And for me, it was hey as a shell of him former self for sure he needs to retire now he does need to to, hang his gloves up because there's nothing else for him to do in boxing he's a two-way world champion he unified the cruiserweight division he went to heavyweight he won a world heavyweight title and you know he's had some great fights some great nights yeah the past six years have not been the greatest Uh, he had the fight with Derek Chisora in 2012 you know he had the two fights against Mark DeMori and I can't remember the other fella's name it was uh, Jiggly I think it was Andrea Jiggly but they were unknown fighters so it really really going to do much in terms of his credibility coming back and doing that so I, I think he needs to retire I think Tony Bellew in terms of where does he go next well I'd like to see him have one more final fight whether he wins or whether he loses I think he, he does deserve one last big payday and one last big hurrah whether it be Andre Ward that he's stated he wants to fight and Andre Ward has sort of suggested it might be possible in the future or whether it be someone like Tyson Fury which people will scoff at when they hear this but it's a realistic situation. Bellew will take the fight. Bellew will take that money. Could he hurt Tyson Fury? Well, people would say yeah, because at the end of the day, Tyson Fury's been put down off of Steve Cunningham cruiserweight. But it's whether Bellew can get to him. That's the question people will say. Oh, well, Tyson Fury's, you know, he looks slick, he looks elusive. We don't know what he's got left yet. He's been out of the ring for a few years now. And as we've seen to David Hay, it didn't really do him any favours. As we've seen with Ricky Hatton when he tried to make a comeback, it didn't do him any favours. So there's a lot of people forgetting about 
these situations when you're out for so long there's only a few fighters that can get away with doing it very very exceptional fighters that can get away with doing it so you'd expect Tony Bell you to maybe look at a Fury or an Andre Ward fight in the future but he definitely deserves one big final payday for me and I really really enjoyed the fact that he won and it was a big thing for Tony Bell a very emotional night for him with the passing of his brother-in-law and you, you could tell that it meant a hell of a lot for him to, to put this chapter of his career to bed. One fight I would actually like to see, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I would love to see the rematch with Adonis Stevenson, because Adonis Stevenson, he sort of dismantled Bellew in that fight, but Bellew was so weight-drained, he was never good at light heavyweight, he was never the best of his ability. We've seen him go up to cruiserweight and become a world champion, and we've seen him go up to heavyweight now and look really good. I mean, obviously you're not expecting him to go in with the likes of Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilders but you, you do expect maybe he could fight a, a, another heavyweight and do well but then David Hay was kind of a blown up cruiserweight to heavyweight so I, I would like to see one big class hurrah from Tony Bellew that, that, that's my opinion I, I think Tony Bellew deserves one more opportunity one more big fight if he retired tomorrow I wouldn't be disappointed because from what from where he's come from to what he's achieved in boxing he will go down uh, as a British boxer that will have a great history and a great legacy because he's done enough in, in the boxing game to be considered in that sort of category I'm not saying he's one of the best British boxers of all time but he's certainly got to be in you know the top 20 top 30 for sure for sure so there you go Tony Bell you beats David Hay in round number 5 we get repeat and let's move on to the other part of the show because on this particular bill there was a couple of upsets and stuff that I wasn't really expecting if I'm being totally honest when I looked at the predictions that I made last week and when I was watching the fights as they happened I was thinking to myself well I've not got this one right have I? Obviously, we had some other great fights on the card, and one of the fights that I really enjoyed was James Tennyson and Martin J. Ward. Now, on paper, Martin J. Ward was the favourite to win this. I can't remember, did I pick him last week? I'm pretty sure I picked Martin J. Ward to win this, because on paper, you would expect it, because when James Tennyson had stepped up, he'd lost to the bigger opponents. So you're kind of going off that, but I don't think that means anything in this day and age now, because what James Tennyson did to Martin J. Ward was he took a great onslaught, looked like he was going to be finished earlier on in the fight he managed to turn it around and he, his power managed to come through and it seemed to last the test over the over the rounds and you could tell when he was catching martin j ward it was hurting him and that that's that's what sort of turned the fight around for me it turned it around from a slick boxer trying to outbox his opponent and catching him with some great shots to a to a power puncher only took one or two punches to really rock martin j ward and that's when it started to he started to come apart then and then that's where tennyson started to systematically break him down and we've seen the stoppage and what a great result for james tennyson that is i mean a lot of people probably wrote him off but there was also people that i seen on social media that actually thought james tennyson was going to win this one and i'm really happy for him because he's an underdog story i love an underdog story and he was the underdog in this one. No one expects him to go in there and beat Martin J. Ward, who was destined to go on and do bigger things. And he was now going to have to go back to the drawing board and come back with a better plan and come back and look at where he can go from there. There is still a lot of fights out there for him domestically, for sure. But for James Tennyson now, oh wow, he's you know the world's his oyster now. He picks up the European title, you know the Commonwealth title, uh, and then there was the obviously version that he had. I think it was the WBA was it continental or international or something of that nature but now it kind of leads him in a position where it won't be far away from a world title shot now with the titles that he's picked up in this one so it's a really really good victory for him and i'm really looking forward 
to seeing how James Tennyson now gets on and, and, and why, where his career is going to take him in the next 12 months because you want to see him now do well. And if you didn't see James Tennyson before, you're going to want to watch him now. You're going to want to see where he goes, whether he gets a potential shot at a world title later in the year. I really, really would love if that happened. And another one, same instance really, John Ryder beating Jamie Cox. Again, what a shocker. A lot of people thought Cox is going to do this. Cox is going to be the one that's essentially the classier boxer, the one that can go in there and outbox John Ryder. But I think I was a little bit on the fence with this on last week because after seeing John Ryder dismantle Patrick Nielsen a couple of months ago, you, you just kind of knew there was a potential for an upset here if John Ryder could implement his game plan, and he did, and he implemented it pretty quickly. And the power of John Ryder, like with James Tennyson and Martin J. Ward, it came through, and the shot that he caught Cox with on the top of the head, it's not a shot you expect to sort of put your opponent down, but because of where it landed it obviously had an effect on him which didn't occur for the first couple of seconds but then all of a sudden he goes down and you're thinking to yourself delayed reaction as in with body shots and then he doesn't get back up again and that's it it's over and Jamie Cox was was out that was it it was over and John Ryder now He's got a wonderful opportunity to be in a position to fight for a world title. And in the post-fight interview with, obviously, Eddie Hearn, he's saying, you know, he looks to want to make that fight for John Ryder. Brilliant, brilliant news for John Ryder, this. This is a good opportunity for him. I mean, not a lot of people are going to fancy him to win a world title because, at times, he's, he's proven to be quite limited. But if he can go in there and kind of bulldoze his way through a world champion then there's no stopping him really there's no telling what he could do you would expect on paper for him to you know possibly be outboxed by the world champions currently but you'd love to see him go in against Groves John Ryder you'd love you'd love to see him go in you know against some of the best super middleweights in the world and you'd give him at least a puncher's chance in it so John Ryder again another one that I'm really looking forward to seeing how his career resurgence goes now now he's starting to knock people out for the fun of it But another fight that was on that card was an interesting one because last week we talked about it. It was Paul Butler and Emmanuel Rodriguez. Now, Emmanuel Rodriguez, before this fight, he wasn't really known to anybody in the UK. I mean, he probably wasn't really known to anybody outside of Puerto Rico. Maybe he was in the USA, but we didn't really know of him over here. We just knew that he had a 17-0 record and that he'd fought most most of the fighters who'd been over in Puerto Rico. Paul Butler misses the weight for this fight. Looked like he didn't have any intention of making it for whatever reason. And then we get, we get to round one and straight away the class of Rodriguez just shone through. And we've seen it previously with Isaac Dogbo beating Jesse Magdaleno. We've seen it with uh, Lajara beating Bradley Ski. You know, these are the guys that you think to yourself, well, if you look on the record, they're not really beat anybody of note, but they've got a very big record, you know, 17-0, 24-0. And on paper, you don't expect that to happen because you've seen Paul Butler fight. You've seen what Paul Butler can do. So you're expecting Paul Butler to win. But again, it was just another coming out party, really. And this time it was for Emmanuel Rodriguez because he's shown that he's a very classy operator and now he's a world champion, the IBF world champion. So he's a world-class operator. And now he's putting himself right in the mix now uh, for the potential Super Bantamweight World Boxing Super Series, which is something I'll be talking about later on in today's show. But I felt sorry for Butler because he was outclassed, really. And it, it kind of feels for me like I'm not going to expect to see Paul Butler win a world title again. As much as I'd like to see him win a world title again, I just can't see who he could go in there and beat because you've got the likes of Burnett and Tete and now Rodriguez floating around. I mean, who else is there there that he could go and beat to win a world title? I don't don't think that he could beat any of them three now. I think for me, Paul Butler's kind of reached his pinnacle of his career. And as much as it pains me to sort of say that, you know, being a British fan and British fight fan, 
it is what it is and maybe that is the best we've seen of him when he won previously the world title that's the second loss he's had in his career now Zolani Tete knocked him out uh, down in, down at flyweight and now he's moved up and now again we've seen him lose uh, a, a decision to Emmanuel Rodriguez if you're going to put him in with Tete again or Burnett again are you really going to see him beating them I don't think we can I don't think we could see it so unfortunately for me and for British fight fans and Liverpool fans of Paul Butler, I don't think we're going to see him reach that world height again. But congratulations to Emmanuel Rodriguez. What a fire. What a, what a show he put on. Social media was buzzing with that. There was a lot of people on Twitter talking about Emmanuel Rodriguez because, again, they didn't know who he was before that night. And now we know, and now we're excited to see how he could fare against some of the big boys of the division. Butler was probably classed as one of the big boys, and now he's overcome that hurdle. He's become the IBF champ, and now we're going to look to see what happens if this World Boxing Super Series comes afloat. So moving on down the card, finally we got to see Joe Joyce in with a credible opponent. We'd not seen him fight a credible opponent since he is Ian Lewison, and some might say that was a debatable, but it was a tough test for his first fight. This was his fourth fight and he was going in for the Commonwealth Champ- Championship against Lenroy Thomas and he just bulldozed his way through Lenroy Thomas in this fight. Now I've said it in the past, sometimes he does look a bit slow, a little bit robotic and it sometimes feels like he's punching in slow motion but he just seems to be so effective with what he's doing because he's such a big guy and, and you know he seems quite athletic for the, the guy that he is and, and the way he dismantled Lenroy Thomas, I wasn't expecting that I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting it to, to, to last uh, as long as it did, it didn't last long, it was like this second round knockout I was expecting a longer fight tougher fight for Joe Joyce and he just dismantled him and he now becomes the Commonwealth champion in four fights which I think is is a record and afterwards now he's calling out Jarrell Miller Jarrell Big Baby Miller 20 and 0 and he wants to fight him next in his fifth fight wow <laughs> that would be something you know do you give him a chance at this stage well I think if he's going to do anything in his career he might as well have a crack at it I mean you can't say he's a Lomachenko who was a guy that had something like 384 fights with one defeat on his record but he was an Olympian and he's got a fantastic amateur background which has led him into this point and for him to become a world cha- uh, Commonwealth champion in his fourth fight it is a massive achievement whether you like him or you don't you're intrigued to see where he can go we want to see the fights with Jezora I don't think the fight with Jarrell Miller would come off because Jarrell Miller's way ahead but you just never know what Eddie Hearn for Matchroom USA and David Hay for A-Maker Boxing could do. They could really put something good together. I mean, they've worked together a few times now. So could they put something together for this? I'd like to see it, but I think I'd like to see him also fight Derek Chisora. I'd like him to sort of clean up domestically first before he starts thinking about the big boys over in America. So Derek Chisora... Yeah, definitely, I'd love to see that fight. You know, maybe you could fight Dave Allen. That'd be a good fight for him, Dave Allen. You know, he's a he's a guy that's got an iron chin. Been in with the likes of Ortiz before now and Limrod Thomas himself. I'd like to see that as well. I'd like to see him clean up domestically. We've got the Huey Fury fight to talk about later with Sam Sexton for the British heavyweight title. You know, he could be either winner of that. I mean, you might say, oh, well, what has he done to deserve that? Well, he's steamrolling his opponents. Yeah, okay, two of the opponents haven't been really of any calibre, but Ian Lewison and Lemroy Thomas have got calibre. And obviously, it's it's fights we want to see for him. He's 32 years old now. If he doesn't do anything early on in his career, we could end up with a situation like like Arthur Harrison. And we all know how that turned out. Arthur Harrison fought too many uh, fighters that were below his calibre for such a long period of time. And I think that's what hindered his career. Yeah, okay, people will say, well, 
he was never going to be anything. But if he would have fought fighters earlier on in the career, because he was at that age as well, you might have seen if he would have made it earlier or not. It, sometimes that's frustrating because when you get fighters that fight Eastern Europeans uh, or you've got fighters that are fighting, you know, journeymen with all due respect to them and they're constantly fighting these guys for 10, 15, 20 fights, they're not learning any anything out of these fights. They're fighting the same people. It's like week in, week out. They're fighting them all the time. They're not going to learn anything from this. They need to be getting in with tougher challenges, different challenges, not just putting a journeyman in or not just putting an Eastern European in who, let's be honest, are there for the money in with a guy who you're expecting to go on to do big things. I appreciate people might say, well, actually, this is a way to, to gain the fight experience that they need. When you've got somebody who's got the amateur background to go far, you shouldn't need to sort of pad the records with, with journeymen and with Eastern European fighters. You shouldn't need to do that. You should be able to put them in by at least the fifth, sixth fight and start giving them in tougher challenges, more domestic challenges, start stepping it up. And that's a lot of the problems with boxing these days is you do get a lot of fighters like that and it's not so much fault of theirs, it's more about what their promoters can do for them. You know, there's promoters out there that get their fighters in, you know, four, five, six fights in and they're getting them fighting tough, tough opponents because it's a great opportunity for them to learn. And yeah, they might take a defeat doing it, but the learning, and they know they know whether they can actually handle it at that level. So enough about my rant <laughs> about boxing promoters, padded records, etc. Let's move on uh, and go to the rest of the Hey Bellew card. So we also had Joshua Boazzi who picked up the victory and looked good in doing so. Jordan Gill picks up another victory. Luke Campbell, a late addition, picks up another great victory in the fifth round. And Cody Davis, a haymaker prospect, all picked up the victory this weekend on that show. So it wasn't uh, too bad of a show. Like I said last week, there was more 50-50 fights on it than what a normal matchroom card has on it, which I was happy with because I got to see a few more shocks, which is what I think the shocks came from because they were more 50-50 fights. So it was a decent show. And I think a lot of people... it was Well, I found it decent, but (coughs) a lot of people were a bit... Oh, what a waste of money this was. I mean, I went into work this week and, you know, a, a guy that I speak to at work, who's a casual fan, you know, only watches really the big fights for saying what a waste of money that was. And it's like, well, you might you can say that, but at the end of the day, you got provided with quality entertainment throughout the show. And if you've only really watched it for the one fight, then it's you that's wasted your money because you've missed some good fights on the undercard. But overall, I thought it was a decent show. I wouldn't say it was a world-beating show. It was decent. You know, it's better than some shows that I've been on in the last 12 months, that's for sure. Great fights on there. But let's move over now to America. And there wasn't much going on over in America last weekend. You know, it was quite disappointing. We were supposed to see Canelo and Triple G. We didn't get that. But what we got instead was on the 4th of May, which was the Friday, we got Spike O'Sullivan picking up another decisive victory. Looked good in doing so over in LA. And then we also got Triple G beating uh, Vane's Martissian. Again, I can never get this guy's name right. Within two rounds with what was a clinical performance. He landed a lot of heavy blows. He sat down on them shots. Now, I'm hoping to see Triple G fight someone like Billy Joe Saunders now. I think Billy Joe Saunders would be the fight I'd like to see personally. But what I'm expecting to see is Triple G and Canelo in September, which we've all talked about this, so I won't rant on about it for too long. But I don't think that's the best fight that should be made because we don't really know if 
Declan Booter, all that Canelo have been taking had a, an effect on the fight. We may get, we probably will get to see it. That'll probably be the fight that happens. It makes business sense from a business perspective. It makes the money. It sells. But I'd prefer, for the love of boxing and for the sake of boxing, to see a fight between Billy Joe Saunders and Triple G. That's the fight I want to see. And maybe you can see sort of like a Danny Jacobs against Spike O'Sullivan, which was something that was supposed to come off. And the winner of that fight fights the winner of Triple G and Billy Joe. That, that's what I'd like to see. Like a little semi-finals, you know, their own little mini World Boxing Super Series, essentially. That's what I'd like to see. But he looked really good again, as always, Triple G. It's hard because, you know, he fought an opponent who'd been out of the ring for two years there and had, had been beating off guys like Demetrius Andrade, uh, Erislandi Lara, guys, you know, in the super welterweight division. So he'd moved up a weight as well. Been out for two years. Inactivity is a killer. As we know, we've talked about it earlier with David Hay and the inactivity he's shown and how I think that's affected his performances over the recent years. And I think now we want to see Triple G have them, you know, few more defining fights before he retires. Because the guy's 35 now. People forget because of how good he still looks. He's 35 years old. He's going to be looking at hanging him up soon, surely. You know, I think he could probably go on until he's about 37, 38. He lives a clean life. He looks in good condition all the time. He doesn't walk around well overweight. So there's no reason why he couldn't go on for another couple of years. But I think I want to see him with Billy Joe Saunders, maybe Danny Jacobs again, Spike O'Sullivan. The Canelo fight's probably going to happen. Will I watch it? Well, of course I'm going to watch it because I'm going to be seeing what I want to see what happens. But I don't think it's the right move to, to, to make in terms of, you know, for people for the love of boxing. But it's probably going to happen. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens, you know, in the next few months, whether that fight does come off or whether Billy Joe gets an opportunity, you know, after he faces Martin Murray. That's if he overcomes that. We can talk about that later on in a couple of weeks. <coughs> but also on that same undercard, we had uh, Celia Brackhouse beating Callie Race over 10 rounds to continue her unbeaten run. It's a 33-0, uh, massive, massive uh, name in the women's division, it's Cecilia Brackhouse. A name that you do associate with women's boxing. She's achieved so much. You know, it's, it's going to be good in a few years to see when the British female fighters get to that sort of level. I mean, Katie Taylor, obviously, she's an Irish fighter, but the British fighters over here in England, I'd love to see one of them guys, you know, one of them girls get to that level and, 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 and be as big of name as that and be packing out arenas over in America. And, you know, it's starting to pick up. And I think in another few years' time, women's boxing, you know, is going to be, it's going to be massive. It's getting, I think it's getting big now. And I think it's going to be even bigger in another few years. The way things are going at the moment, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. So, moving on then to local action going on around the Northwest, and there was a great show over at Victoria Warehouse this weekend uh, for VIP boxing promotions, Steve Woods promotions. Had some great fighters on there. You've got the likes of Jack Cullen picking up a victory again over the weekend. You might have seen him on the Last Man Standing show over in Ireland. That was on a couple of weeks back. We've also got light heavyweight prospect Lyndon Arthur moving to 10-0. Again, one that a lot of people are talking about is going to be a potential force over the next 12 months Charlie Schofield also light heavyweight broke into the top 10 recently picks up another victory goes to 14 and 0 hoping that Charlie now gets a big fight you know he's jumped into the top 10 there he should hopefully be getting a big fight in in the next 12 months he, he deserves it he's ready for it now he's 14 and 0 he needs to be stepping up to that next level for me now and again Moving on to Jack Flatley, middleweight, Northwest middleweight. Lots of great middleweights in the Northwest at the moment, including the likes of Mark Efron, Jack Flatley, 
Jack Cullen to name but three here in the northwest. And Jack Flatley's another fighter. I think he is ready for that step up as well, and he's ready to start stepping up in level of opposition now. And I'm really excited to see all these guys' careers and how they progress over these coming months this year. I'm hoping by the end of the year we're going to be looking at some professional titles for them. So that was another great show over in the weekend for VIP Boxing Promotions. So, moving on to the part of the show which I really thoroughly enjoy, which is this week in Boxing History. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! The dream is made real! Ricky Hatton rocks the world! It's over! Mamma mia, he's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! Yes, it's this week in boxing history, and there's a good few ones that I've picked out for you this week. I'm really excited to be discussing them as always. So let's crack on. This week in boxing history, let's go to the 8th of May, 2004. Manny Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez, in the first of their epic four-fight wars that they had over the years. But this was the first of them back in 2014. This was in the super featherweight division. Uh, And what a fight it was. I mean, this was the first time I think I'd seen Manny Pacquiao as a fighter. And wow, what, what a fight. I mean, if you've not seen this fight, honestly, you need to go back and watch it. Pacquiao beat Marquez. Uh, It was via a controversial split decision. What had happened was Pacquiao had knocked Marquez down three times in this particular round. And what ensued at the end of the fight was the fact that the scorecards were absolutely ludicrous. One scorecard read 115-110 for Marquez, while one scorecard read it 115-110 for Pacquiao. And the third judge had it 113-113 a tie. So his scoring included a 10-7 opening round because he didn't realise that he could actually give a 10-6 round for that. So that's kind of what didn't help that situation. Uh, As the other two judges had had it, the 10-6 round for the first round. So it was, you know, a a strange situation because if that particular judge would have scored it a 10-6 round, it would have been a 113-112 on his scorecard and that would have been not as controversial. (coughs) So what what a fight. And it just set the tone for what was to come in the following three fights with Pacquiao and Marquez. But it was the first time I'd personally seen him. Uh, Wow, what a fight. And, And how good was Manny Pacquiao in them lower weights. Go back and watch it. Get it on YouTube, Pacquiao Marquez won back in 2004. So, moving on to the 10th of May, 2008. And I've I've alluded to this fight before uh, because of my sort of shock when it happened. And it was Timothy Bradley beating Junior Witter for the WBC Super Lightweight title. Which, for Timothy Bradley, it was the start of an era of what was to be a really good career for him. You know, he became a two-weight world champion. Uh, well, two-weight multiple world champion essentially, and he had some fantastic fights uh, with Ruslan Prodkinov. He, you know, he had the likes of the fights with Manny Pacquiao in there. So he had a really, really good career, and that was the start of it. And it was a situation where I've talked about the Butler and Rodriguez fight earlier on. Rodriguez, you didn't know who he was. I didn't know who Tim Bradley was at this point. And Tim Bradley comes over and shocks Junior Witter, who's a very good boxer himself. And you wouldn't have expected that as, as a British fighter fan for sure. But yeah, to Tim Bradley back in 2008 beats Junior Witter becomes the super lightweight champion of the world. Now the next one's a really good one because on the 13th of May 1914, Joseph Lewis Barrow was born. 
aka the Brown Bomber, Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis is one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Most people would put Muhammad Ali at the top of their list, but you will also get some people that will put Joe Lewis up there as well. Now, there's always going to be arguments about whose career was better and you know which areas they fought and the type of opponents they fought. Joe Lewis made 25 defences of the heavyweight title between 1937 and 1948. Now, that is some feat some feet 11 years I think it's like 11 years and 10 months to be a champion for that long now I know obviously this was sort of during the height uh, uh, of the second world war during the most period of this time so opponents were were difficult to sort of come by but when you look through history and you look at the type of fighters he fought and the way they've gone down in history you had the likes of Jersey Joe Walcott Max Schmeling Max Bayer and Ezard Charles, you know, these are four great historical names that you'll never forget. Now, he did also fight Rocky Marciano, the undefeated heavyweight champion, but that was his last ever fight, and at this point, he was way past his best, way over the hill, and should have retired sooner, but he needed to fight on. And that's what you find a lot with boxers these days, sometimes they need to fight on. Roy Jones Jr., James Tony, two names there that should have retired long before they did. But yeah, Joe Lewis is one of, he's one of them fighters, you go back and look on him, and you think, what would he do in today's heavyweight era? Well, I think he'd be a lot of the heavyweights. And the style of fighter that he was, you can't argue with, you know, the, the theoretically how he would do in this day and age. Because in this day and age, we've got all the, the great equipment we have these days and the conditioning, the, the meal preparations. He had none of that back in the 20s and the 30s. So you've got to be appreciative of that fact as well. But Joe Lewis was a guy that... You know, he transcended the sport back in that particular era because of what he did for it. And the fact that he was an, a, a black heavyweight champion was also a big factor into it because you've got to remember, although he wasn't the first black heavyweight champion of the world, he, he was during a period of time where in America, you know, racial tensions were, were so bad because you had... This was way before the sort of the Martin Luther King era and the, the, the free movement and everything that came following that, but this was a guy that, at the time, I, I can't even imagine what went through people's minds back then, in terms of, oh, look look at this man, he, you know, he's of a different skin colour, and he's a heavyweight champion of the world, representing the United States of America. I can't even imagine what people thought, and why they thought that type of stuff back then, but to come through what he came through, really, and the adversity... And, and, and fighting through the Second World War and, you know, fight, fighting like Max Schmeling, who was, you know, you know he was... He, the guy had met Adolf Hitler at one point, Max Schmeling. Do you know what I mean? That, that's supposed to show you the sort of era that it was a dark time. It was a dark time, dark era. And yet he makes 11 years out of being a heavyweight champion. It's some feat. And he's definitely one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, for sure. If you've not got him in your list, then I really don't know what what it is about boxing you like because he is definitely one of the best we've ever had as as boxing fans so let's move on and go to the final one for this week in boxing history and it was on the 13th of may 2006 and it was ricky the hit manhattan he went over to america he moved up a weight to fight luis Calazzo to win the wba world welterweight title and he topped off a fantastic two years for Hatton, coming off the back of the win over Zoo. Uh, then he beat Carlos Mauser in a unification fight. And then he goes over to America and beats Louis Calazzo. Now, that was a very, very difficult fight for Hatton. And I think when you look back on it now, he was quite lucky to even win that fight because Calazzo was huge. 
compared to Hatton in that fight. And I think it was because of the fact that he managed to knock Colazzo down in the first few seconds of the first round. It, it certainly is what made the fight the winning fight for him because I don't think if he would have got that knockdown, he probably would have been walking away with a defeat at that point. And I watched that fight, and obviously I was a massive Hatton fan, as you know, so it was it was kind of like squeaky bum time. And I remember in the final round of the fight, and Colazzo's putting it on him, and I thought, he's going to stop him, he's going to knock him out. And he took some blows, Hatton, at this point, and he managed to get through it and become a two-weight world champion, which was fantastic. And then obviously with the rest is history, we know where he went on from there. So, that concludes this week in boxing history. Moving on then to this weekend's action. And there's only really one place we can start with this week, isn't there? And that's Jorge Linares versus Vasyl Lomachenko for the WBA lightweight title. This is a fight I'm really looking forward to. A fight that you wouldn't have thought was going to happen maybe 12 months ago. And it's happening this weekend. I'm really, really excited for it. I think a lot of people are going to pick Lomachenko. Let's let's get it off the bat straight. Lomachenko is the one that's going to be heavily favoured to pick up the victory in this fight. The guy is amazing. He's such a skilled fighter. It's unbelievable. But I can never count out Jorge Linares. Ever since he came over to the UK and fought Kevin Mitchell. Yeah, Kevin Mitchell, at that point of his career, you know, it was probably the best sort of period of his career. And he was putting it on Linares, and Linares beat him. Great victory for Linares at this point. He comes over again, fights Anthony Crawler twice. Fights Luke Campbell over in America. You know, he's been in with some great British fighters. But he's also been in with some great fighters over the years as well. And he isn't the, the man he is today without the skills that he has. And he's a guy that you cannot write off. This is what's stressing me out about this fight. A lot of people, again, like they were uh, with the Bellew Hay fight. They were just writing Bellew off. They're writing Linares off. Now, people were just going to sit there and say, well, Lomachenko's too classy, too skillful. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I ain't going to deny that fact. But you can't argue that Linares uh, has been a three-weight world champion for nothing because he is a guy that has grinded down when he's needed to. And he's shown in the, fa- in the last few fights that he really has got the skill to, to, to take it there. And I'm really excited because the Lomachenko-Rigondo fight at the back end of last year was an absolute letdown. And Rigondo just didn't do anything in that fight. So it was really good to hear this fight announcement to see that we're actually going to get a very competitive fight. Uh, and I'm not expecting it to be as one-sided as what maybe people think it will be. Linares, yeah, I know he's about 33 now. And I know people will say, well, he's, you know, he's coming towards the end of his career now. But he's shown how much of a great fighter he is. He fights in short bursts. You know, you, you might not see him do a great deal throughout a lot of the round, but when he fights in them short bursts, he's doing what Sugar Ray Leonard used to do. He fights in short bursts towards the end of the round to leave the eye-catching stuff to the judges. However, in this fight, he's going to have to be on his toes a lot and he's going to have to be fighting in more than just short bursts because Lomachenko will come at him and he will put it on him and he's very elusive. So this is going to be another thing for Linares. He's going to have to catch Lomachenko and if he can do that, then we're really in for an interesting night. In terms of predictions for this fight, I've got to say, that I am going to favour Lomachenko, even though I'm kind of making a a bit of a battle cry here for Jorge Linares, I do favour Lomachenko because I do feel he is that good, he is slick, he is classy, and he is the younger, 
the fresher and probably the overall more skilled fighter. <coughs> With Linares being this age, that is a factor. That sort of factor can always play into a fight like this. Could he get old overnight? It's possible. I don't think it will happen, but it's possible. But I don't think that's going to be needed if Lomachenko wins this. I think he could decisively beat Linares on points. And I think that's the way I'm going to go for a Lomachenko win via a 12-round decision. If it gets closer than that, wow, I can't wait. If if it becomes a lot more competitive than what people think it's going to be, then I'm, I'm excited. You know, it excites me to think about how this fight's going to go. Because it's going to go either two ways... Lomachenko is going to completely outbox Linares and make him look as old as he actually is on paper or we're going to see a really competitive fight and we might even see a potential upset here. I mean, Orlando Salido did it against Lomachenko. Yes, it was his second fight and you've never seen anyone go for a world title in a second fight like he did against Salido but he's got the quality to to have done that and Salido managed to, to pick up the victory in that one. So there is the opportunity there for... Linares to, to capitalise and, and look at the mistakes Lomachenko has made in fights because nobody's perfect I mean he's damn near close but nobody is perfect and you're going to expect to see some chinks in the armour at some point with him it's whether Linares has got the class to be able to do it I think he has but people might not agree with me on that one I am looking forward to it and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to the podcast are going to look forward to this one as well I won't be staying up for it though. I'm definitely going to watch it Sunday morning, stay off social media, watch it Sunday morning when I get up. But it's a very exciting fight for the fans, for sure. Moving on then, let's see what else we've got going on this weekend. So, this is the weekend that Liam Smith was supposed to fight Saddam Ali for the WBO Super Welterweight title. As you know, obviously Liam Smith's had to pull out of that one. And we're now getting Saddam Ali versus Jamie Munguia who's 28-0, was actually touted to face Golovkin a few weeks back, but has replaced Liam Smith in this fight. Really, really interesting one, because I haven't seen anything of uh, Munguia, and I'll be honest with you, I've not even YouTubed him, so I don't even know what this guy's style is, what he fights like, what his record's like, because I've not delved that deep into this one. And Saddam Ali, I have seen enough of to have made a judgment on the Smith fight, but with this fight, I really couldn't say and predict who's going to win it. I don't just want to say, well, on paper, Saddam Ali, you'd expect to win it. Because you don't know, again, like we've talked about in the last two episodes, with the likes of Emmanuel Rodriguez, Isaac Dogbo, and uh, Kerman Lajara all coming through their fights and giving us something to, to, to look for in a, in, a, in a new fighter and something that you've not seen before, then this could be another night like that. And what are the chances it's going to happen again? Well, it's a strong possibility. So there's another good fight that's on over the weekend. Uh, on that same particular card, you've got Ray Vargas, who beat Gavin McDonnell in his world title attempt, defending his world title again against Azvat or Azat of Anisan. I might have got that right. I might have not. <laughs> but yeah, that's another one that you could catch up with over the weekend. But I think all eyes really in Britain will be on the British heavyweight title fight between Huey Fury and Sam Sexton. 
and it's on Channel 5 so if you've not already uh, heard about it Channel 5 Spike from 7.30 Channel 5 from 9 o'clock I will be down there for Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat as will our photographer as well Kevin Gilbo so you'll see us both down there if you're going to watch it you'll see me doing the rounds speaking to all the guys I, I love interacting with people at the shows you know getting to see all the other fighters that come it's, it's, it's what I love about this sport and being able to get into the media side of the sport uh, anyway going back to the fight Huey Fury Sam Sexton so this is Huey Fury's first fight since his loss to Joseph Parker which was a debatable one and Sam Sexton's a guy that he's had his ups and he's had his downs and this is a period of time where he's definitely on and up he's won the British heavyweight title he's now defending it against Huey Fury he has shown vulnerabilities in the past Sam Sexton and and that's what makes me feel and edge towards Huey Fury I mean when you look Back in the past, uh, Sam Sexton's losses. He's lost to, to names that are well-known in Britain. You know, you've got your Derek Chisora on his record there. In Back in 2010, he lost to David Price back in 2012. But ever since that loss to David Price, for the past six years... I mean, he's, he's not had a great deal of fights. But he has had enough fights to come back and, and get on the back on the gravy train, essentially. I mean, he beat Gary Cornish whose only other defeat was to Anthony Joshua for this British heavyweight title last year. And now he's defending it against Huey Fury. So, I can't, again, I can't completely count Sam Sexton out because he, he could go in there and he could hurt Fury. And we could see, essentially, <coughs> what people might say is the demise of Huey Fury with him going all that way to a world title shot and then going back down essentially to British level and fighting for the British heavyweight title, if he was to lose here, I think that would be pretty disastrous for him, if I'm being totally honest, because it would be a bit of a fall from grace, really, after fighting Joseph Parker, who we see him put on the display against Anthony Joshua a couple of weeks ago. A very good display, by all accounts. And then for him to drop down to sort of British heavyweight to try and pick up that prestigious Lars Lonsdale belt, and then if he loses this, you know, where do you see him going from there? But in all honesty, I can't see him losing it. I can see him outboxing Sam Sexton. The thing with Huey Fury and what frustrated me with his fight with Parker, he, he, he was effective on the back foot. And people said, yeah, he was running. And I can understand why they said that. But if he would have thrown punches in bunches, then we probably would have seen a different result. And we probably would have been looking at a WBO champion in Huey Fury who could have fought Andy Joshua the way Parker did. So you, obviously we're never going to know that now. But that's what he needs to do if he's going to be more effective. He looked good in terms of his boxing ability. Don't get me wrong, he could probably outbox a lot of fighters in this division. But he didn't put enough into the fight. And that's what... He lost the fight. He lost that fight. You know, it was his to lose, essentially. Parker came forward like he does. And he tried to steamroll his way through Huey Fury. Uh, Huey Fury, he was very good with his footwork. He just didn't throw enough punches. And I was was disappointed for him because... You know, whilst they expected they were going to get the result on this, essentially, I can understand now, looking back at it, why they didn't, because he didn't throw enough. And that that's what the judges were looking at. You know, they were looking at a guy who, yeah, when he did throw, he looked good on the back foot, but he was looking like Parker all the time. Parker, even though he weren't getting a lot off or getting a lot through, he looked the aggressor constantly through the fight. So that's essentially why that... That fight ended up to Joseph Parker. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting fight for Huey Fury because we're going to get to see the ad- adaptation from going down from the world title level to British title level and the difference that's you know going to make for him. I don't think it's going to make any major difference if I'm being 
honest with myself, but people might say otherwise on this one. So yeah, that that's the f- the main fight of the weekend over in Britain. Uh, it's got a pretty um, pretty stacked undercard. So when you catch it on Channel Five Spike, you should hopefully see a few of the other good fights over the weekend. Peter McDonough's back this weekend. Uh, we haven't got an opponent announced from what I can see. Reese Cartwright. Uh, he's also on there. Savannah Marshall. We're talking about women's boxing earlier. Uh, we've got a few of Kieran Farrell's fighters: George Brennan, Reese McMillan, John Dring, also fighting on this card this weekend. So it'll be good to sort of catch up with them guys over the weekend, see how they're getting on, see how their careers are progressing, you know, see how they get on in these particular fights that they've got. So that's another great one for the weekend. Uh, if you're not got any other any other stuff going on this weekend get yourself over to channel five and watch them fights this weekend so that concludes this weekend and let's move on to the final segment of today's show which is the news and gossip section so i think the main bit of gossip coming out this week whilst it's not been fully confirmed yet there's a lot of talk of the world boxing super series and the sourlands potentially putting Chris Eubank Jr. back in the tournament for the final against Callum Smith. Wow. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks back on the podcast, about this being a potential rumour, but it's starting to come from different sources now, and different outlets and social media are reporting that this is potentially going to be happening, and it looks like they aren't going to wait for George Rose to be fully recovered, and it looks like they're going to go ahead and potentially replace him with Chris Eubank Jr. Now, I I don't agree with that decision, personally. I don't want to see that happen because George Groves deserves his place in the final and they should wait for him. But from a business perspective, again, they're going to look at venues, costs, tickets, transport, you know, all the factors that get involved in something like this are all going to have to be considered and they're going to essentially make the ultimate decision based on it's going to be last minute anyway for sure i mean there's been no announcements today and we've had uh, some of the other news which we'll talk about in a minute being announced by the sourlands so it's not been fully confirmed but it's it's not being ruled out so i wouldn't surprise me if it happens i don't feel eubank jr deserves that shot at callum smith to be honest with you i mean i've said this before i mean he needs to go away reassess his career reassess his trainers his corner get things sorted and come back and then try to come back but if he gets thrown into this and he wins by chance he beats callum smith which again people are thinking this this is the case this could happen. He could beat Callum Smith in the final. And then we're looking at a completely different scenario where, really, George Groves would have to fight Chris Eubank Jr. Surely that should happen. That would be the logical fight to go in the future. So I'm really interested to see what the developments are on this in the next coming days because I'm sure we'll hear about it. Sure we'll hear about it shortly. I know that Calais has said it in an interview with IFL TV and Coogan Cassius that he won't rule it out. So it's looking more likely that that could happen now. But I'm really, really, really interested to see what people are going to make of it. I think it's going to cause an outrage. But I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Yeah, it'll probably discredit the tournament. But I'll still watch it. I'll still be interested to see what happens. Overall, it's been a, a fantastic breath of fresh air, the tournaments that they've put on. And I've said it before, and so has Cahal, uh, and so has Simon on the podcast, that... Yeah, okay, it, it, you know, people will say, oh, well, it's discrediting the whole nature of the tournament. I get what you're saying, guys. I get what you're saying. But at the end of the day, we've got a final here. We've got a trophy on the line. And who else are you going to put in the final? Who else can you possibly put in that final fight other than Chris Eubank Jr.? Because you really, you can't put in Nicky Holskin. 
who Callum Smith's already beat. George Rose is not fit. The only other semi-finalist was Chris Eubank Jr. So, logically, that, that's probably the way you're going to have to go. And I think people think it's just, it's all about the titles. It's actually about a trophy, this. The titles are just a bonus. It helps if if the fighters that are involved in it have the titles. Because then it, you expect a unified champion at the end, like we we're expecting out of the Cruiserweight one. So, we're going we're gonna to have to see how it all pans out. I mean, they, they postponed the Cruiserweight one. So, why can't they do it with this one and make the the right final fight we're just gonna have to see what happens guys saying on the same subject of world boxing super series today was the announcement of the next season of the world boxing super series and we've got three divisions which they've not announced but i've got a good guess of what they possibly are well at least two of them anyway so two of the two of the divisions i think are the bantamweight division or super bantamweight division and the super lightweight division uh, which are two really really good divisions in boxing at the moment and two divisions which if you get the best fighters in the division into the tournament we're gonna have some cracking fights i mean the super bantamweight could include ryan burnett zelani tete emmanuel rodriguez uh, you could have the likes of Neo Inoue, Jamie McDonnell in there. You could have them back in there. You know, I know they're fighting in a couple of weeks, but you can still could have that fight in there again. Why not? If they put on a great performance, either whoever wins, why not? Why not see it again? So there's a great one there. We've got the light, uh, the old uh, light welterweight division, super lightweight division. You know, you've got Kuro Relic in there. You, you've got the likes of Terry Flanagan fighting Maurice Hooker. You know, you've got some great opponents in that division as well. Now, I've not sort of heard any rumours about what the final division's going to be, but there's... There is some sort of talk going around Twitter as I'm speaking of it being the light heavyweight division, which would be good and probably a good injection into that division because we're going to see the likes of Badu Jack and Stevenson in a couple of weeks. And other than that, you've only really got Dmitry Bivol and Sergei Kovalev in there. And you want to see that division get an injection. And yeah, I, I think that would be a good choice. Because before the Cruiserweight tournament, the Cruiserweight division wasn't the greatest division in the world. And look what it's done for it. Now look at what it could do for the light heavyweight division. I think that's the way we've got to look at it. We'd love to see a heavyweight one. We'd love to see ones in the divisions that we, we love. But if we inject it into a division that really needs it, like the light heavyweight division, then we could end up with some really cracking fights there and a good unified champion in that one as well. So it is definitely worth considering the possibility of a light heavyweight one. And I'd be really excited to see if that one happens because I want to see the best fight the best. It's as simple as that. So I want to really see how we we will fare in the future uh, with the World Boxing Super Series and whether we'll see another success for 2018-19 and whether we'll end up seeing a potential heavyweight one in the future. That's what everybody wants to see, I think. We've talked about this before. Uh, Cahal mentioned it uh, a good few weeks back where he said it'd be the one he'd love to see. So that, that really sort of wraps up the announcements for World Boxing Super Series. Another piece of news that's come out this week is James DeGale has been ordered by the IBF to face his mandatory, which is Ho- Jose Uzakatagai. And we talked about that fight when DeGale beat Caleb Truex in the rematch a few weeks back. And really, that's the fight I said I wanted to see. It's looking like that could happen now which is fantastic for boxing and how it should be because that's a fight, a very tricky fight for James DeGale, a fight he could lose, but also a fight that could make him look very good as well at the same time. So let's just see if that one comes off as well. And also this week, we've had three potential opponents for Anthony Joshua talked about. This is by Barry Hearn, Eddie's father, 
we've either got Deontay Wilder in a two-fight deal over here in the UK and in America, Jarrell Miller in New York City, or what's being reported in the British media is Povetkin at Old Trafford. If I'm going to go with one of them fights, which is probably the most likeliest, is Povetkin at Old Trafford. It will sell out Old Trafford as he sells out the Principality Stadium. We've seen Povetkin over here before. He's happy to travel. He knows he's going to get a great payday. He's got a great opportunity to become a unified heavyweight champion. So what's he got to lose, essentially? That's more likely the fight I would expect to see. Then maybe Jarrell Miller and then maybe Deontay Wilder. I think in that that particular order is the way we're going to see Anthony Joshua's career go down in the next few fights. So that's exciting to even think about the, the potential of them type of fights. We've had a great announcement also today. Uh, Ricky Hatton trained fighter Nathan Gorman will face Sean Turner on the undercard of Tyson Fury's return. Really good fight for Nathan Gorman. That. Sean Turner, as we've seen recently, he's been in with some tough, tough opponents. And I think that would be a, a very good fight to see where Nathan Gorman's at. And a lot of people talking about a potential future fight with Daniel Dubois. So it, it keeps on building the, the, the pot for them to really with this type of a fight going in the future I know Tom Little's fighting Daniel Dubois now so you know they're starting to step up their opposition now against well known British heavyweights in the division so that's going to be a really interesting collision course if that eventually happens so I'm really excited with all the stuff that's gone on over the past 24 hours and what we're really looking forward to and that for me about wraps up today's podcast so on a final note really i want to say thank you everybody for listening to the podcast as always i know last week's episode was just me and i know this week's episode is just me and i hope i've been able to provide you with some great boxing coverage and and, and give you some opinions really because i try to see things from both sides of the coin I, 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 i have my opinions and i have my thoughts and it's difficult trying to do the podcast on your own i will admit that I love the boxing game so much that I can't not provide coverage of certain events that have gone by. I can't just miss a week of the podcast. I've got to try and give you guys that are listening, that are loyal listeners, something uh, to listen to during your working hours. Because, yeah, I know there's loads of other boxing podcasts out there. And, you know, credit to them. You know, there's some brilliant ones out there that I've listened to. And fair play for what they're doing. And fair play for the guys that are listening to our podcast. I really appreciate you all. And I've met a couple of you. I met Wayne Copley at the Ultimate Boxer a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I spoke to quite a few of the listeners over social media. And I really, really appreciate you getting in touch with us. I'm hoping Cahill will be back next week. I hope he does get better. And Cahill, I know when you listen to this episode and you listen to me droning on to myself, uh, I know you're going to try your best to get back on the show. And if not... Obviously, we will try our best to get somebody on for next week so it isn't just a one-way conversation. And if you've stuck with it till this point, I can only say thank you because it is really appreciated. So, you know where to find us now. It's at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and it's at Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast on Facebook. If you want to email us, get in touch, any ideas, anything you want us to bring up on the show, any questions... Please email us beyond the ropes boxing podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and that wraps up the episode. Thank you, everybody, and we'll speak to you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.